much. So, uh, um, okay, so as I've just sort of uh, given a little bit of a heads up, we, we've been just started a series um, on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, we're calling it Follow Me, and I just have to say I'm so sorry I haven't got the slides together. Um, just, <laughs> anyway, it won't go there. Um, but it's a series called Follow Me, and it's really looking at different aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. He calls us to follow him. We're not called to go to church. We're called to follow a person, Jesus Christ. And when you hear what Jesus says, when he says, come and follow me, you realize that it's not all easy. It's quite a challenge. But he's also very good. In fact, the Bible says this in Luke 6. Uh, it says that a student is not uh, above the teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And when Jesus said that, what he was saying was, look, you know, your starting point is you won't be like me. But as you learn from me and as you follow me, as you are my student, which is really what disciple means, as you're my student, you're becoming increasingly like me. And at the end of the day, we will be more and more like him. In fact, the Bible says we're being changed from one degree of glory to another. We're, we're progressing in our relationship with Jesus. So this series that we're doing at the moment, we have no idea how long it's going to last, maybe a lifetime, because that's how long discipleship is. But, um, you know, we're, as we go through this, we're going to be looking at different aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. And we will be challenged. We will be. There will be things that need adjustment in our life. And uh, we need to be open to receive that challenge because Jesus is good. He's not going to mess your life. He's going to create wonderful things in your life. So as we learn to follow him, it's good news. So, for instance, Tim last week speaks on finances, and we all squirm in our chairs. Why? Because it's a very relevant topic, and we need to hear it because we're in a Western world which is so materialistic. Man, we need to hear what Jesus says about it. And we need to be shaken up a bit. That's okay. As I was um, wondering what to bring today, praying about what to bring today, I thought I was going to go in one direction. What I found over the last wee while is that God has put me in another direction. So here goes. What I want to talk about today is becoming the disciple that Jesus loves. Becoming the disciple Jesus loved. And you may think straight away, that's a strange sort of thing. Surely if we're followers of Jesus, he loves us already. But I wonder whether all of us who are following Jesus know how much he loves us. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, his invitation to us is to become a follower, a disciple who knows that we are loved. So listen, you could be here today, this morning, and you may say, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus. I want to tell you how you can become a disciple who Jesus loved. And if you are already a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you how you can become one who knows that they are deeply loved. You see, Jesus is calling us on a journey, and the journey is to know that he truly loves us 
and he delights in us and he enjoys us. It's so much more than head knowledge. You know, you get people saying, oh, yeah, I know God loves us, God loves us all. Listen, it's so much more than head knowledge. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that he delights in you? And I found God doing a work on my own heart when I was looking at this thinking, wow, how often do I try to become a disciple that Jesus might possibly love one day? Or how much do I enjoy being a disciple, a follower who he already loves? And it's a huge difference. And it's blooming hard work if you try all your life to be that disciple who Jesus loves. If you can get to the point where you just know how much he loves you, it is a secure place, and we can grow from there. See, the sad reality is that many of us struggle with this concept of God actually being pleased with us. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, he wants us to learn from him. A good place to start, therefore, is to see what Jesus was like. Jesus was absolutely secure in his father's love. He knew who he was. He knew his identity. He knew that his father loved him. When he was baptized, he heard the voice of his father say to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. He got his sense of worth from his father. He knew who he was because of what God said about him. And if we're to follow him, we need to learn where he got his identity from and where we can get our identity from as well. John says this of Jesus. Um, I, there's a few verses that you don't necessarily need to turn to. Some comes from the book of John. Other comes from different places. Um, but John says this at the start of his gospel. He says of Jesus, he made his home among us and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And then he also tells us in that same chapter, the first chapter of John, that to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is inviting us, if we're going to follow him, into intimacy, into knowing him closely, into security in God's love. He's inviting us into that. And when he says, follow me, he says, I want you to learn too. If you're going to be a child of God, I've, get, I, you know, I've come to get you to become children of God. I'm a child of God. I'm the son of God. I know he loves me. When I bring you into the family, I want you to know how much God loves you. And uh, sometimes I think, certainly looking at my own life, I know my journey has been, I've sometimes thought maybe God tolerates me. And I haven't been so sure that he loves me. Jesus invites us to follow him. Well, I use this expression, becoming the disciple that Jesus loved, or becoming the disciple that he loves. Where does that expression come from? I guess some of you would know where that comes from. You recognize that? Who used the expression, the disciple that Jesus loved? Who was that? John. It was John, eh? And uh, who was he talking about? That's an interesting one, eh? Who do you think he was talking about? Right, so then the question is, is the guy up himself? <laughs> is he conceited? 
oh, Jesus loves me, I'm the special one. He loves me. Is he conceited? Does he think, oh, out of all the disciples, he loves me. I'm the one he loved. Well, I don't think if you sort of go through John, I don't think you get that impression from the guy. Is he saying he's worthy more of his love? Another question you could ask, well, does it mean that Jesus has favourites? And before you get all sort of twee with me, oh, we're all God's favourites. No, listen, does Jesus really prefer one above another? Does Jesus have favourites? Well, clearly we know from the Bible that John and Jesus were close. They were close. They had a close friendship. It doesn't mean he had favourites. It doesn't mean there's nothing in the Bible that says John was Jesus' favourite. If it said he was his favourite, then good luck for you and me. Because there was something special about the guy, obviously. So no, it's not saying that Jesus has favourites because it makes it very clear when it gets to the Last Supper and you remember Jesus washes his feet, it says, throughout his ministry, he loved his disciples. And right at the end, he washed his feet and he showed his, the full extent of his love. Didn't say he washed his favourites' feet. Didn't come to John and go, this is the one I love. He demonstrated love right across the, the room to all of his followers. So then I asked the question, okay, John's calling himself the disciple Jesus loves. Was he just being humble? The interesting thing is that throughout the Gospel of John, he never mentions his name. He doesn't even refer to himself until the Last Supper. And that's the first time you come across this reference to the disciple Jesus loved. And it's when John is sitting next to Jesus, leaning against Jesus. The next time, in fact, I think it's only five times John mentions this expression. So what we're talking about is he's been a follower of Jesus for three years, doesn't mention himself. Maybe he doesn't know he's the disciple that Jesus loves until three days before Jesus dies. And he comes to this point and then he starts to come out the shadows and go, I'm a disciple that Jesus loved. And then you find him, the next time you find him is at the cross where everyone else deserts Jesus and runs away. The disciples all sort of go, yeah, I'll follow you, I'll follow you. And then they run away. John's at the cross and he refers to himself as he's there with Jesus. They have this conversation, the one who Jesus loved was there. And then you find him at the tomb. And, you, and it just I'm just fascinated. What is it about this guy that keeps himself anonymous throughout the book? And it's only in the last few sentences of the book he goes, by the way, the disciple Jesus loved is the one who's writing this book and writing this account. This is my story. So was he just being humble and just being anonymous? Or did John... Get hold. Had he got hold of something that was far deeper? Had he got hold of a truth that was more than just being a little bit humble? Oh, it's just, I'm just the disciple Jesus loved. Is it that he really understood something about Jesus' love for him? And it caused him to be very different. You see, what's interesting about John as well is that the other three Gospels, Matthew, Luke, Mark and Luke all mentioned John in various accounts. For instance, John was one of the first followers of Jesus. 
All the other Gospels mention that. When John accounts for it, he says Simon and Andrew were the first to follow Jesus. doesn't mention himself. All three other Gospels mention Jesus choosing 12 disciples, calling them apostles and sending them out and names John. John doesn't mention that account. And then you think the one that John would mention, he was one of the three who were up the mountain and saw the transfiguration. He was one of the special ones who saw Jesus change And so he saw the glory of Jesus. John was one of the three who got to see that. The other three Gospels mention it. John doesn't. Why is that? Why is it? I mean, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say why he's silent on it. But I wonder this. I wonder whether he doesn't want to be known for anything else, whether it's good or bad, other than I'm the one God loves. I'm wondering if maybe by the time he starts to use that expression at the Last Supper, literally days before Jesus dies, I wonder when it's at that moment, suddenly the penny drops. And as he's penning the story, he puts himself in and goes, "Uh, the disciple Jesus loved. It's really true. Jesus loves me. Maybe it was that he just suddenly realised that it was true. Could it also be that Jesus knew what John was really like? Now, if I asked you what John was like, you'd probably go, oh, you know, he's the apostle of love. He's a lovely man, you know, he's very pastoral and stuff like that. Let's have a look and see what John was really like. Because If we're not careful, we can make out that John was a super saint. Of course he was the one who felt loved by Jesus. But what about me? Because I know what goes on in my heart. I know what I'm really like. What else do we know about this disciple that Jesus loved? We know that he was a rough, tough fisherman like Peter. We all give Peter bad press for being a blabbermouth. We all give him bad press because he's the one who's arrogant and steps out and puts his, his, his mouth or his foot in his mouth. But maybe John was a little bit similar. He certainly came from a fishing background and they were out there on the water. They were business partners together. They were probably foul-mouthed together. Certainly, John did nothing that is recorded that earned him the title the disciple Jesus loved. At this point, relief should be settling in the room. There is nothing that John did that got him to get that title. He was full of self-importance. He told, one day he came to Jesus and said, we saw some other crowd casting out demons in your name. I told them to stop it because they're not one of the 12. And Jesus said, dumb move. That's a different translation, but it's pretty much there in the Bible. (laughs) John was judgmental and critical of others. 
when he came across a city that was largely, or the village were rejecting Jesus, he and his brother said, shall we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? He just wanted to destroy anyone who was a Jesus hater, anyone who shunned Jesus. This is John, the disciple Jesus loved, is the one who was judgmental, fired off on one. He was full of selfish ambition. He and his brother came to Jesus one time, or one account says his mother came on their behalf and said, you know, when you come into your kingdom and are great and seem to be the great king, have a special place for my boys, James and John. It says the other disciples were livid, outraged by it. John was what you'd say, self-important, judgmental, full of self-ambition. And the title, the disciple that Jesus loved, didn't come from Jesus. In fact, fairly early on in the piece, Jesus nicknames James and John, sons of thunder. In other words, you guys are trouble. You are volatile. I, did, you know, I can't rely on you. Sons of thunder. Peter, who usually gets the bad press, he gets told, you're a rock. I can do something with you. James and John... Sons of thunder. How is it then that John comes to this conclusion, I'm the disciple Jesus loved? He did nothing to deserve it. Jesus didn't give him that. Maybe it was just something that he learned through being with Jesus. Maybe hanging around Jesus. Maybe he saw how Jesus dealt with other imperfect people how he didn't judge them, how he showed great love and compassion and tenderness towards them. Maybe he saw his heart revealed and he suddenly concluded, all my shadowy parts, all the bits that Jesus knows about, he loves me just the same. It doesn't matter what my past is. It doesn't matter what my character flaws are. It doesn't matter the stuff that I'm ashamed of. It doesn't matter when I've blown my mouth in front of the others. He... Loves me. Oh my goodness, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. And I kind of get the impression that that is what John learned. But it wasn't about him. It wasn't about how great he was. He knew that he knew how bad he was and he knew Jesus knew all about him too. So it wasn't a case of trying to impress Jesus. He'd virtually lived with Jesus alongside him for three years. When you live alongside someone in community, you can't hide. John couldn't hide. Jesus knew him. He knew his past. He knew all his character flaws. And yet John came to this, comes to this settled place. I'm the one Jesus loved. Jesus accepted me. Extraordinary. That was enough for him. He didn't go, I'm one of the three up the mountain. I'm one of the 12. I was the first to follow Jesus. He just goes, no, I'm messed up. I'm broken. Jesus knows my flaws, but I am the one he loves. That's enough for me. I'm the one he loves. The question I've got is whether I can be a disciple Jesus loves in the way that John was. Can I know deeply 
that Jesus loves me in spite of me, because of me, just everything about me? Can that be true? Can it be that Jesus loves all of me like he loved all of John? Or is it just parts of me Jesus likes? Do I need to hide stuff? The difficulty is, is if you try to pretend you don't get very far with Jesus because he knows all things. So what about trying to be the disciple Jesus loves? Because you can, you can do that. You can try and be the disciple he loves. You can try and get in his good books. You can try all you like. It will exhaust the pence off you. We're not about trying to be something for Jesus. John settled for the fact he was a work in progress. When he wrote the gospel, and when he wrote some of the letters later on in the Bible, he'd matured, he'd travelled with Jesus long enough to know, and that's when he became a disciple of love. I'm sure this book is written from the point of, probably that stage in his life, where he'd understood, he loves me, and that's all that matters. He knows my flaws, but he accepts me. The thing is, John was happy with being a work in progress. The disciples were works in progress. So are we. Let yourself off the hook. We're works in progress. You see, at the Last Supper, it's amazing all these things happen at the Last Supper. You think, surely they'd have got it by now. At the Last Supper, once Jesus has broken bread, they've had communion. What do the disciples do? Start arguing about who's the greatest inappropriate, wouldn't you say? I was like, duh, Jesus has just told you that he's, he's giving his life for you so that you can be forgiven and washed and cleansed. They start bickering about who's the best. And then at that point after supper, what does old blabbermouth do? Peter, he starts going, if everyone else deserts you, I won't desert you. I'm the disciple who loves Jesus the best. We all know how that went didn't last very long. You see, the disciples were works in progress. Sometimes they looked like they'd got it all together. They'd healed the sick. They'd cast out demons. They'd done the stuff Jesus was doing. They looked like Jesus in action. Two days before he dies, they're a mess. They're a work in progress. I don't know about you, I find that a great relief to know that I can be a work in progress, deeply loved by Jesus, even when I feel disappointed in myself. Is that a message from God? Or? <laughs> so the disciples, they were always comparing each other, trying to look the best. You know, even when Peter came out with some great statements about who Jesus was, I, I ha only he knows what was in his heart. Was there a sense of, oh, I got that one right? That looked good in front of the others. I know if I'd been in that story, that's what had been playing on in my heart. Yes, it might have been revelation from heaven. I'm sure there would have been a glow in my heart too. Probably yours if you were there too. They're judging, they're arguing, they're trying to look good, they're insecure, broken and hollow. No, I mean, that's dissing them, I know, but listen... Isn't that sometimes how we are? How often do we act like the disciples? How often do we try and put up a front to look good? 
to look like we're one of the 12, to look like we've got it all together. So that we can look good to others, feel better about ourselves. See, all the time we're just trying to make it, trying to be the disciple Jesus loved, trying to be the noticed one, trying to be the one that looks like they've got it together. How often, I found myself asking, how often do I find myself falling into the trap of pretense, performance, people-pleasing, to look and feel good? Look good to you, feel good in myself. How often does that happen? How often does that happen to you? We're works in progress. Do you need to do well or succeed at something to feel good about yourself? You don't have to answer, but let's do an honest check. Do you need to succeed at something and do well to feel good about yourself or maybe feel that God's pleased with you? How many times do I do that sort of stuff? How many times do I do certain things so that other people will notice I'm doing the right sort of things that are appropriate things so that people will feel I'm doing okay? Have you ever done that one? That's just me. Do you need other people to validate you and affirm you? You're craving for someone to go, well done. You're craving for someone to notice you. That's the kind of thing that these disciples were doing. You know, if someone doesn't congratulate you, if someone doesn't affirm you, if someone doesn't validate what you've done, who you are, you start to feel going on yourself and think, I feel rubbish, nobody noticed me, I'm no good, what's the point? It's insecurities. Do I rely on the opinion of others waiting for that sense of affirmation because I want to feel loved by people? I do. I want to feel loved by people. I don't want to be rejected. Nobody likes to be rejected. But the deep question is, how far, is your, how far does that go down and where does your ultimate security lie? Where does the definition of who you are lie? Or do you need to hold it together in front of others to appear okay? You know, the, the Sunday morning look. You know, we hold it together. How are you? Fine. Listen, we don't want to do that around here. We want to be real. Jesus wants us to be real. You see, the trouble is, when we do any of those sorts of things, we'll be like the disciples... And actually, it's being fake and unreal. It means that the cardboard cutout that we present to the world isn't me. I'm behind it somewhere. We're projecting a delusion, a cutout of me. We're covering the real me. We're trying to be something. I tell you, it's exhausting. Because I know I flip in and out of this. And you know you do. It's exhausting. Jesus doesn't call, call us to be exhausted as his followers. He calls us to be free. The trouble is, when you go on this treadmill of performance and outward fakeness, it not only is exhausting, it robs you of joy. It robs you of intimacy. Intimacy with God with Jesus, with, with each other, it robs us. 
And even that then becomes a sham of what Christianity is all about. Paul says this, God shows his great love for us by sending Christ when? While we were still sinners. While we were still messed up, screwed up, doing all sorts of stuff we shouldn't, while we're being critical, judgmental, sham, putting on a front, while we were completely away from God, pushing him away, while we were like that, God showed how much he valued us and loved us and sent Jesus for us in our messed up state. Never does the Bible say, clean yourself up, then I'll love you. The Bible says, come as you are, because when you're in a mess, that's when I sent Jesus for you, because I love you. I love you. And listen, if Jesus loved me then, he loves me now. He loves me when I, was, when I was in my sin, when I was away from him. He loved me then. He loved the Phil trying to make his way in the world and trying to look good. He loved Phil. The Phil who was trying to be noticed. The Phil who was trying to be loved. He loved me then. And I tell you what, he loves me now. A work in progress. A Phil who tries to be noticed. A Phil who wants to be loved. He loves me now. As much as the day he saved me. He loves it. He loves me when I wander from him in my foolishness. When I decide to go my own way. He loves me when I wander from him. And when I return to him, he shows how much he loves me. Do you know God has never, ever wagged a finger at me? He's never reprimanded me in that way. He's, he's disciplined me with love. That's all I've ever known. I remember a conference probably nearly 10 years ago when we were starting this journey of understanding God is a good, good father. I remember going to this conference and someone spoke about the Lord disciplining us as sons. And I knew the Holy Spirit was nailing me on some things in my heart. I knew he was. True to form, I blubbed, came out from the conference. Nat was there, and he says, oh, that was a great word, wasn't it? I said, I said God, has, God has just treated me like a son. Now, most people, their first reaction, if God's ticked you off a bit, if God's actually sort of pulled you up and disciplined you, you think, oh, maybe God doesn't like me. I tell you what, God had disciplined me. I felt loved by him. For once I realised this is my loving father who loves me so much not to leave me in my stupidity, not to, not to leave me in my falsehood, not to leave me in my sin. He's chasing me. My dad's after me. He loves me. It's powerful to know that he loves you. Listen, if you don't yet follow Jesus, this is the Jesus you can follow. Someone who's passionate about you. Someone who left the wonderful existence in heaven and came to earth and got grubby. He lived life like we do, yet he was perfect. And what he did, he went to the cross for you and me. Why? Because he saw how broken and messed up we were and he loved us. He loved us in that condition. He loved us there, but he loved us so much, he did something about it and then set on a whole lifetime's journey of making us more and more like him. Hallelujah. This is the wonderful gospel of Jesus. This is, that's why John in his letter, as he's an old man, probably 90 years old or whatever, he writes this, this is real love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That's what John had worked out. He'd seen Peter do it the wrong way. I love you more than all the others, Lord. Whoops, bang, fall. He said, no, I'm not the one who loves Jesus more than others. I'm the disciple Jesus loves. Much more secure place. Takes all the trying out of it. Takes all the effort out of it. Listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, yes, sometimes it's hard, but I tell you this, this one's probably a real hard one to learn. He loves you. And you don't have to try to earn it. But if you get hold of that, you'll be a good disciple. Because you'll know he loves you. And it doesn't depend on what you've done and what you're still like and working through that with Jesus. This is real love. We don't have to prove ourselves to win his favour. It's not about how much we love him. It's about how much he loves us. Praise God. Is that a relief? You see, the call to follow Jesus is to leave pretense behind. It's to leave the shallow me behind. It's to leave the false me behind. To follow Jesus means come and be the disciple that is loved, deeply loved. Not come and try and be the disciple, not live up to the measurements of. Come and be the disciple who's loved. I tell you, any change that has come in my life for the better has not been because God has come after me and chastised me in a vicious, angry way. It's always been his loving embrace that's got me every time. It's been his loving embrace. When I've felt, the, the times that I have felt most loved by God is when I've felt worse about myself. That's when I've known his love the greatest. I want to tell you, I'm not unique. I'm a disciple who's loved by Jesus. You can be too. He loves you as you are. And you need to know it deep in your heart. It changes everything when you know it. So following Jesus is leaving pretense behind. It's learning to be that disciple. It doesn't mean we have to pretend. It's actually all about being authentic and real. Jesus wants us to be real. That doesn't mean we're perfect either. We've already covered that ground with John. He wasn't perfect, but he was loved. He was perfectly loved, but he wasn't perfect. Same for us. You see, we're works in progress. I love the way that John, in his letter, the first, um, first letter of John, in the first chapter, he talks all about how it is to be a, a son who is loved or be a disciple who is loved in that passage where he talks about the secret of authenticity. He calls it walking in the light. He says, that's how, we, that's how we do this. And I'm sure when he gives advice there, and I've read out some of the advice that he gives you, some of the truth that he tells us, I'm sure it came out of his own personal journey. He knew what it was. This is what John says about walking in the light. He says, if, you try and hide our, if we try and hide our brokenness and our sin... We're living a lie. We're being fake. The truth isn't in us. It affects our intimacy. It will break down your sense of fellowship with God. If we bring our failings and brokenness into the light, intimacy is restored. That's what I've found so many times. If we pretend we're okay, we're living a lie. 
We're hollow and we're empty. But if we confess our sin and weakness, he completely restores us because Jesus died for us. Listen, it doesn't get simpler than that, but it also doesn't get harder than that. Are you going to walk in the light? Are you going to walk in darkness? We have a choice, and Jesus calls us to walk in the light. John writes this also in that chapter. He says, see how much the Father loves us. And he calls us his children, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. It's not about earning your way in the family. Listen, if you've followed Jesus for so long and you're still trying to measure up, that's not how you get in the family or get anywhere in the family. It's understanding he loves you. He just loves you. If you're not yet following Jesus, understand this. He loves you in your sin, in your brokenness, and he wants to forgive you and restore you. That's who Jesus is. That's the kind of thing he does. It's not about earning or proving your way in the family. It's about resting in his love. That's what disciples... It's a call to intimacy. I don't know who once told me intimacy. Beautiful word. Into me, you see. Intimacy with God. It hit me one day when I was before God and it was just that sense of relief. I thought, into me, you see. You know all about me. I don't have to even tell you about myself. You know all about me. You know my quirks. You know my failings. You know the thoughts that don't actually come out because I control them, but they're bad thoughts. And you know my thoughts from afar. I love that psalm that talks about that. You know, that God knows us completely. Intimacy. It's being in that place where you don't have to try to impress God, because by the way, you can't. But you can just be yourself. And you come flaws and all, it's me again. Intimacy, into me, you see. And if you have intimacy with the God who loves you, it means we can actually get a lot closer to each other and intimacy happens on this level. That's why disciples are called to love each other. The same sort of intimacy, the same sort of acceptance, that's what we're called to. We're called to love. That's what John always said right to the end of his days. So it's not about trying to be a disciple that Jesus loves, but it's actually learning to be content being the one that Jesus loves, being content in your own skin. And it's a journey which can take a while. Maybe it takes a lifetime, I don't know. John had learnt it enough not to hide or bury his hurt or pride or feelings, not to hide his insecurities, but understand that all his broken baggage... Jesus loved the whole package and came for him when he was a completely broken package. Jesus loved him intensely. That, to me, is huge. As he came and followed Jesus, he knew, he found, every time he bumped into Jesus, no, he didn't get judgment, he got acceptance and love. Instead of a right telling off, he got forgiveness. This is what it means to follow Jesus That's why we're crazy about wanting to see other people follow Jesus. He's worth it. He's so wonderful. He was was content to know this. John was content to know this. Jesus loves me. It's all that matters. How far have you got? How high up in the picking order in the disciples? It doesn't matter. I'm just one that Jesus loves. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves broken me, messed up me. 
I want to tell you recently, um, I felt the Holy Spirit highlighting some stuff in me. And uh, I just knew there were areas in my life which needed to be sorted. You know, you know when God's got your attention, eh? You, you, you sit there and go, uh-oh. But you also know you're in a good place. But I found myself, I found words wanting to come out and ask Jesus what he thought of me. And uh, I couldn't believe these words that were wanting to come out of my mouth. I said to Jesus, do I disgust you? Am I a disappointment to you? And I struggled to say those words on two accounts. One, I, I did say it, but the minute I said it, I was in a blubbering mess before Jesus. Because I'll tell you this, Jesus has never, ever, 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 ever been disgusted or disappointed with me. What I felt was his love poured out for me. And as I'm asking him, Jesus, do I disgust you? Am I a disappointment? I've realised, though, no. From the day that I became a Christian and before, he loved me. All through my Christian life, when I've stumbled and fallen, he's loved me. Every step of the way, he's loved me. He's loved me. He's loved me. The other thing that, I guess, hit me was this. I realised I was believing a lie about myself. Because even though I knew it was impossible for Jesus to say, you disgust me. I realised I was saying about myself. I was disgusted by myself. I was disappointed with myself. And what it did, it broke me because I realised how much Jesus loved me. And I thought, if Jesus loves me that much, how can I feel this way about myself? I realised that, once again... Typical Jesus, he chased me with his love. And before I got words of disappointment and failure out my mouth, he was there embracing me, telling me what he thought of me, reinforcing his love for me. It was an incredible moment, but I guess I was just a bit disappointment, disappointed, really, that I still felt that. But what it told me was this, that maybe the Jesus who loved me in my brokenness. Maybe I could learn to accept me and love me, the real me, in my brokenness. The real me that tries to pretend. The real me that tries to be liked. The real me that struggles if something doesn't go well. Maybe if Jesus loves that sort of me, maybe I could start to embrace me and love me. And as I sat there, this realisation came upon me. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. I'm the one he loves. I am that one. And it was nothing to do with me. It's all about him. All about him. Listen, God is wanting us and calling us to be disciples, 
Disciples who aren't striving to be something. Disciples who aren't striving for his approval, each other's approval. We're not into that game. We're not into that game. It's a waste of effort and time and doesn't work. He wants us to be disciples who don't pretend to be someone we're not. He wants us to be disciples who are secure in his love, knowing that we are his disciples and he loves us. Amen? Can we just... um, Joe, can we have a... Get ready to do something.